All right, I'm going to read to you a, a familiar passage. In Joshua 24:15. how many of you have ever heard, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? A lot of times we'll see it on a magnet or we'll see it on a picture or a little card that you can send to somebody. Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? Seems like a really powerful statement from Joshua. And it seems like it's just a really good and strong, powerful verse to know and to be able to recite. But I always like to look at verses in context. And in context, Joshua 24:15 does not say, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. In fact, it says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a lot more in that verse than just Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So today I'm going to do something a little bit different. You're going to be getting almost entirely scripture. I'm going to start off and I want to read Joshua chapter 24. And I did do this in the New King James Version. So if you'd like to get the Bible out of the pew and open to Joshua 24, you can follow along with me. I should be able to tell you what page it's on, but I decided that print was far too small for me to read, so I enlarged it on my paper, (laughs) making it much easier. Page 184 in the Pew Bibles, you will find Joshua 24. Sorry, 183. Or maybe 182. Somewhere in the low 180s, Okay, you know what? I'll just go ahead and, because now I'm hearing 200. Okay, in some of them it is 220, and in some of them it is 201. Well, now I'm just intrigued. All right. We're talking page numbers, right? Just so that we're all... Okay. So we're in Joshua 24... Looks like a couple of those were Joshua 4. Joshua 24 starts on page 220. Now, I just want to go in advance and say that there are going to be names in here that I may not pronounce correctly. Just throwing it out there. So you can fill in with however you would pronounce that name. Joshua 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, 
and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, the son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Verse 21, but the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes. We are witnesses, they replied. Verse 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. 
And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Sachem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. Verse 27. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. In the beginning of this chapter, up until, let's say, verse 14, Joshua recounts the things that God has done for Israel. It's a very short account. He does it in, 15, in 13 verses. He starts with uh, Abraham, taking Abraham out of the land of his ancestors, taking him through Canaan. And he deals with Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Moses and Aaron and all of the different people who were living in that land as God took them through and gave them the promised land. And he does it quickly and pretty succinctly, right? He's reminding them of their past. He's telling them the things that God has done for the people of Israel. And then in verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, which is where Abraham came from, and in Egypt which is where Esau went, and serve the Lord. He tells them to serve the Lord. And then he declares that he and his house will serve the Lord. So all of Israel says, so will we. And what does Joshua say in response? You can't. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. You can't serve him. How is it that Joshua has so much faith in himself to be able to serve the Lord, and yet he has no faith at all in whether or not the Israelites can serve the Lord? Is it pride? Is Joshua a prideful man who believes that he himself can serve the Lord, but the Israelites cannot? Or is he asking them a deeper question? Three times the Israelites say, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, "Mm, mm -mm, I don't think you will. Nope. It isn't until verse 21 that the people say to Joshua, no, We will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says, your witness is against yourself. And they said, yes, we're witnesses. We are saying we will serve the Lord. But even that isn't enough. 
he takes a big rock and he sets it up and he says, this rock will bear witness to what you have said before the Lord today. Think about that for a minute. It was important enough that just all of Israel saying, yes, we'll be witnesses to what we did, was not enough. Joshua says to them, this rock will bear witness. Do we often think about how everything has been created by God? Everything. Every rock. Every piece of dirt. Every molecule of air. It has all been created by God. And all of it bears witness to those who stand before God and make a covenant with Him. In verse 20, Joshua says to them, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. Joshua tells them repeatedly, Listen, I'm not asking you to take this lightly. I'm telling you, if you stand up right now and claim to make a covenant with the Lord God who is holy, that God is going to hold you to that covenant. And so are the rocks who bear witness. Verse 25, On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and the laws. He told them again what God expected of them. Listen, this is what God is saying. If you're going to make this covenant, you better know what he's saying. Because he's not messing around. So don't take it lightly. And Joshua gave them three separate times to say, Ooh, this might be a little much. I'm not sure if I really want to get involved in that. But they were sure. And if you read any of the Old Testament, you will know that repeatedly Israel moves away from God, begins to bring in a false god. And God keeps saying to him, come on back. Verse 27, the stone will be a witness against us. The stones have the ability to bear witness. Now, as I was thinking about this, I, I went out yesterday for a walk up at Hanson Hills, and I was really sort of meditating on this, and what God said to me is, everything around me, God has created everything, and every one of them has the ability to stand up and bear witness to my covenant that I have made before God. We have two dogs and a cat. What I do at home, in the, in the privacy of my home, they see all of it. And isn't that fun? Like, really? I mean, that's funny, right? Like, my dog is going to come in and be like, listen to what she did yesterday. But you know what? I'm betting that nobody ever expected a donkey to stop and start talking, right? If a donkey walked in and started talking, you guys would all be like, whoa, something's going on. Everything God created has the ability to bear witness before God on our covenant with the Lord. 
So it's something that we really do need to take very seriously. Let's take a look at how the stones have the ability to cry out in Luke 19. Jesus talks about the stones crying out. He's entering Jerusalem for the Passover. Think about what the Passover was. It was a time when God passed over all of the households that had the blood of a lamb on the doorposts. And those that did not have that blood lost the firstborn. So they're celebrating the Passover. It's a time of celebration, but it's also a very serious holiday, right? Verse 37, Luke 19, verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then we hit verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they are in a state of euphoria over their king entering Jerusalem. And the Pharisees want this to be a solemn, sacred occasion of celebrating the Passover. Verse 40, Jesus says to the Pharisees, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Creation longs to cry out for its creator. But God has given us the opportunity to cry out on his behalf, to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If we do not, the rocks will cry out on our behalf. I don't know about you, but I don't want to ever want to be in a situation where the rocks or the leaves cry out louder than me. Because what he has done in my life has changed everything. All he did for them was create them. For me, he cleansed me of all unrighteousness. He set me on a path from unrighteousness to righteousness. He redeemed me. I have so much more to cry out and to bless and to glorify God. So if we take that and we apply it back to Joshua, Joshua really did understand that this moment in time, God was asking for a covenant with his people, and it was something not to be taken lightly. It was a sacred moment. You think about the covenant that God made with Abraham, where there was a shedding of blood. He made a covenant with Moses. Jesus came and created the new covenant with a shedding of blood. God takes his covenants seriously.
Joshua asked those people before him to count the cost. This is what is happening. This is what God wants of you. Make sure you are willing to bear that in order to be called a disciple or a follower of God. Jesus asks us to count the cost. In verse 25, of some book that I didn't write down. So I'm betting that you, Greg, didn't, weren't able to, yes, I didn't give him the book. (laughs) I think it's in Luke, but I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) I looked back and forth three times. All it says is cost of a disciple, verse 25. Pretty sure it's in Luke. I'll get you that for next week. Those large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I got to tell you, that's a hard verse for me to read because I would be willing to lay for my family, for my kids. Is this not on now? Am I only on over here? Okay. I have a difficult time hating my father and mother. But God says that I have to be willing to give up all things, even my own life, to be called his disciple. He is saying very clearly, count the cost. It may cost you everything you hold dear. Everything. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying... This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. I don't know about you, but I know people who started this race with God, this marathon, and they've dropped off. They couldn't endure the things that came their way. It doesn't mean that they can't get back in, but right now they're not walking with God. They didn't count the cost in advance. They weren't willing to sacrifice everything. They built part of a tower, and now there are people who ridicule them because they walked away. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. If you start this covenant with God, be sure you can finish the covenant. 
Because those who lose their saltiness, there is no way to get that saltiness back. You do not make people around you desire to have the things that you have if you walk away from God. Jesus ends that with, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. He's not talking about physical ears. He's talking about spiritual ears. He's saying, those who have the Spirit and hear what I am saying, let him hear and take it to heart. We need to count the cost. In Revelation 3, verse 18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and wear white clothes so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Verse 19, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God is letting us know that there is a cost that we must be willing to pay to be disciples of God. But he also says in verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, to the one who stands before God and says, Lord, I have counted the cost and I stand here and I give everything that I am and I am willing to be a follower of God. And to those who endure, God says, we will sit on the throne just as Jesus sat on the throne of his father. To the one who is victorious, who endures, who counts the cost, who realizes that the very stones or dogs or cats or fish or plants in their home will call out and bear witness to the covenant that they have made before God. To those who stand firm and endure through the end, God gives us the right to be victorious. Psalm 13, 5 and 6 says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. I pray that that is the cry of your heart, that as you stand before God and make a covenant with him, that you will honor him all the days of your life, That you can say, I trust in his unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in his salvation. And I will sing praise to the Lord, for he has been good to me. James 1, verse 21. I'm going to read this in the the King James Version, because I think there is something to be said for the wordiness of it. 
James 1.21 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. In a more modern NIV version, it says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in, in you which can save you. This, lo- this world is full of moral filth and evil. It is prevalent everywhere we go. And yet, the Word is planted in us, and it is engrafted into our hearts so that we can stand before God and claim, I will endure. I choose this day whom I will serve. I will put away all the false gods, all the gods from the, from the far side of the Euphrates and all of the gods of the Amorites whose land we live in. And I will choose this day to serve the Lord. It's a choice we make every day. God has made everything. This world is His house. We just get to live in it. So he asks us to confess and to repent and to choose this day whom we will serve. Because if we do not cry out on his behalf, all of his creation will. Lord God, as we walk out of here today, help us to stand on your promises, to know that you are good that you are with us in all things, and that we can trust you with everything that we have. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us a new understanding of the covenant that we have made with you to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. We give this day and this week to you. We ask the blessing on our households and our families. We give all that we have to you in Jesus' name. Amen.